We're going to begin reading at Genesis 18, verse 22. And the reading should be on the screens up here. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. This is the word of the Lord. I'll tell you, these, um, these stories in Genesis can seem so strange. They, we've read a number of them now as we're going through a, a targeted study in Abraham, uh, in Genesis on Abraham and his life and what he teaches us about a walk of faith. And this one, like a lot of the others, sometimes leaves me shaking my head. It reminds me of being in Guatemala a few years ago and I was down at a marketplace and I glanced at a belt that I thought was kind of nice, a leather belt at a marketplace. And I wasn't really in the market, but I, you know, wasn't really in the trying to buy one, but of course I looked at it and you know what happens probably if you're there is that I, I began to walk away and the guy, oh, oh no, no, this is for, uh, you know, whatever the Guatemalan uh, thing was, this, you know, a hundred Guatemalan dollars and I don't, no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I wasn't really looking to buy it. All right, 80. No, I'm, I'm really not looking to buy it. 60. You know, it, doesn't it kind of remind you of that? It's sort of like God's, you know, it's, it's haggling that this man is haggling with God over souls in a wicked city. What? I ended up buying the belt, but it was really a good price. <laughs> it was really low. I couldn't, I couldn't afford not to buy it. But you know, that's what happens when you get down to that piece where it seems right. This is a, this is a story though that we have to get our hands around because you could take away from this story well, there weren't even ten righteous people. And see how wicked Sodom was. See, weren't even ten righteous. We get the point maybe Lot's family was somewhat righteous. I think we're missing the point of the story here. I think this points to something much bigger, to something much more important, that Abraham becomes a model for us of a role that we haven't really seen. You realize this is the first prayer in scripture of any sort that's that's an interactive prayer this is the, this is the first time we really have this kind of of prayer going on and 
it puts Abraham in a very different sort of role than we have seen. Let's look together. Genesis 18. So the men turned from there. This is the three men that had announced to Sarah that we discussed last week that she was pregnant. Remember, she laughed at a 90-year-old woman being pregnant. And these three men have now uh, said, I'll be back in a year when you are pregnant and going to give birth to this promised son. And so the men leave Abram in his tent area, and they looked down toward Sodom. Sodom is going to be southeast of where uh, Abraham is set up in the promised land. It's going to be kind of wrapped around the, the backside of the Dead Sea. And Abram went with them as they set out on their way. And the Lord, one of these three men is designated as the Lord, whether it's an appearance of God or an angel, it's not totally clear, but it says the Lord says, shall I hide from Abram what I'm about to do? You ever say to somebody, shall I not tell him what I'm about to do? You got to tell him at that point. It's like saying, I'm not sure if I should tell you the secret or not. You always got to tell him then. But he says, shall I hide from Abram what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abram shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the earth have been blessed in him. I've chosen him that he may command his children. The context here is that Abram is the chosen man through whom God is going to work his will in the earth. Give the blessing to all of the earth, which will ultimately be in his great, 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 great grandson, Jesus. But he just knows at this point we're going to, God's going to reveal himself through Abram and the promise. I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. The Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down and see whether they've done all together according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. The word there for outcry is a very particular word. It means a, a sense of how much injustice has been done. It's a, it's a, uh, a term that when something, a wickedness, a great, uh, oppression has been done, there is an outcry. It's the same word that's used when, uh, the Egypt, the Israelites are under Egypt's, um, uh, slavery and they are forced to make brick and their outcry went up to the Lord. It's this injustice that's being done. Cruelty and oppression is being done. And somebody in that city or that knew the situation is crying out and God hears that cry. And so they're going to go down to see about judging and destroying Sodom. Now let's just back up a sec because you will hear in, if, I, I, Talk to people about this. They say, I believe in a God of mercy and love, but I can't really get my head around a God of judgment or justice. Let me just say, if there is no justice at an outcry, there is no love. Because I tell you, if I go before a judge and I've been cruelly oppressed and something terribly wrong and he's the one to deliver justice to me and I go and I plead my case, and I describe the injustice, and I say, this, this, oh judge, is what I want to have happen, and he says, well, I'm not really a God of judgment, or a judge of judgment, I'm, I'm a judge of love, and so I'm sorry, I really can't do anything to the people who have cruelly treated you. Well, you wouldn't think that was so nice, would you, if you were in a court? 
You want a judge who judges rightly and justly. And so we can't be so nuanced as to think, well, there can't be any judgment in God's. It is when there is cruel oppression, God has to judge in order to show his love. Because if he's not a God of justice, how can there really be the love that comes when we know his, that, that, that both and? It's not an either or situation. So that they're going down to see whether or not this outcry within Sodom is true or not. So then we have this bizarre situation that could ha- that could happen in a bazaar, in a in a, a Middle Eastern bazaar. It says in verse eighteen, "Let the haggling begin." Right? Some people love this. I, I'm not very comfortable with the, the whole haggling thing, but uh, but some people are. So. Abram was before the Lord. And it's interesting in verse 23, look at the term, because he's standing before the Lord, and then it says, Abram drew near. Scholars say the word there is legal term for when someone approaches a bench. That you can be in a courtroom and standing before a judge, but you know how they say, if you've watched Law and Order or whatever, it's, that's very realistic, and they say, approach the bench, Right? And there's a term, an actual term, that says we approach now. Because what's happening is Abraham is now being put in the position of not just a lawyer, but a priest. Because in the Old Testament, this is the first mark we have of someone mediating between God and man. And that's what a priest did in the Old Testament, is that we think of a priest as sort of a job, kind of like a, a pastor with a collar or something. But, but for the Old Testament, this is a person who mediated between a holy God and a people who needed forgiveness. He remediated sin on the Day of Atonement. He stood between the people. He was a bridge. And what we see is Abraham approaching God, and he says this, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous would fare as the wicked. So, Notice this. He says, God, you're being unjust if you treat the righteous and the wicked the same. Now, there's a couple of solutions for that. My solution would be, well, let's get the righteous out of there and then just take take them out. Right? That would be one way to do it. Let's just remove all the righteous ones, find them. And then the rest, that's kind of a Noah situation, right? Let's put those who are righteous on a boat and everybody else gets it. Do you notice that's not what Abraham asks for? What does he ask? Sodom was a wicked city and Gomorrah. They were wicked cities full of wicked behavior on many, many, many levels. And here's what he asks. Would you spare them all for 50 righteous Think about that. He asks for mercy for the many based on the righteousness of a few. 
And then begins the haggling. Forty-five? Okay, let's say fifty. We just, I mean, just five people? We don't know exactly how big Sodom was, but a lot bigger than that. Forty? How about thirty? Notice Abraham's posture toward God in this. It's very interesting because he says, after he's asked and gone a a couple of, of times back and forth, he says, behold, in verse 27, I've undertaken to speak with the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. This humility of understanding who he is combined with a boldness to ask God for something that seems uh, almost to put him on a par with God, haggling with God over how many people. Who am I to do this? And yet boldly he approaches this God so aware of his own frailty. 30? 20? 10? Let me ask you a question. Why did he stop at 10? We didn't read the last verse of this chapter, but he gets to 10, and the Lord answers each time, I'll spare the the many for the righteousness of the few each time, 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. And the story kind of leaves us hanging. When the Lord went his way, after he said, for the sake of 10, I won't destroy it, Abraham goes home. Next question, why not five, four, three, two, why ten? Hold on to that thought a minute. Let's go back to what's a pivotal verse. As we were praying this morning corporately, it was a prayer about God's goodness and God's justice. Key verse in this. Verse 25, far be it from you to do such a thing, that is to destroy everyone together, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare just as the wicked. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? One of the core things that we need as we look around, and if you haven't yet, you will see a world where you look and you're not sure how to say, is God good? Is God just? One of the things we can begin with, because the scripture teaches us, is that God is just. And we look at it sometimes and say, I don't see how that computes. And I get that. I, I, I struggle with that sometimes too. But that when we begin with the idea of a just God, who knows far more than we do about situations, we can begin then to deal with him and begin to say, God, I don't see quite how this works, but I begin with the premise that you are good and just. And when I begin there, then I can begin to unwrap some of the things that can be so confusing. Let's go on because... I think we're going to see how Abraham points us to something that's even greater because we know from the story that follows this that Sodom was not saved. I can assume there were not ten righteous in the city. Lot's family 
was removed and was running away. Lot's wife looks back when commanded not to and is turned into a pillar of salt. We know all that, but I want to focus this morning on what Abraham did in approaching God as this priest lawyer because I think what this points to is the foreshadowing of something much, much greater that impacts our lives. I struggled as I looked at the Scripture this week. For many days, I, w- I always ask, so what? It's, it's, I mean, it's an intellectual exercise to read the Scripture and not ask, so what do I do with this? How does this impact my life? And last night, in the middle of the night, I, I, I had a... a I think a small piece of of how this impacts at least my life and maybe yours as well. Because I want us to compare Abraham stepping into this priestly mediation role with the one who is the great high priest. He prays over the wicked people of Sodom and says, Lord, would you spare the wicked on behalf of the righteous? Jesus Christ sits on a cross and he says, Lord, all these people are killing me, but would you forgive them? There is a prayer in the 17th chapter of John that's called the High Priestly Prayer, where Jesus steps into the role of priest that Abraham was foreshadowing in this chapter that we've just read. And if you read through this, it's Jesus' prayer as a priest, and he basically says, Father, would you treat the people you've given me as you would treat me, your son? Would you allow them to be in me so that they would get what I deserve? He's mediating between God and man. He says, I'm going to live the life they should have lived, and I'm going to die the death they should have died. So, Lord, would you take me and do to me what they justly deserve? You see, Abraham got down to ten, and I don't know what his thinking was, why he left it there or not. But ultimately, Jesus, in his own way, says this, Lord, if there was one righteous man, Would you spare a world that deserves to be destroyed for one righteous one? What we learn in Romans 5 is that through death entered through the sin of one man, Adam, and is spread to us all. But through one man's righteousness, Romans 5.18, life has entered the world. And so ultimately what Abraham foreshadows comes down to 10 to 5 to 4 to 3 to 2 to 1. And that Jesus Christ did for you and for me what we could never do, which was live the righteous life before God. And when we look at stories in Genesis like this one, there can be some good things to take away about things to do or not to do, but this isn't a story based on Abraham's actions and what we should, how we should model Abraham or not model Abraham, though there might be some good lessons. The Scripture points us to who Jesus is. He's the righteous one man who saves all of us, the unrighteous, by his righteousness. 
And it doesn't end there. Because as Jesus was this high priest mediating, he now says, Revelation 1.6 says, now he has made us, you and me, and all those who believe in Jesus, a kingdom of priests. Because now we get to pray for, and we get to mediate. We get for people who have no idea about this God to demonstrate who he is in our lives. And and believe me, I know it's difficult. I know that that can be a challenge. But it's our great privilege and calling to be a kingdom of priests. Now, when I was praying about, Lord, how do I respond to this? I'm grateful that you stood in my stead and that you were a priest for me. But I was reading this morning, early in the morning, in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews talks a lot about Jesus is the great high priest and what his role is in that. And I I just want to read a couple of verses to you this morning. This is Hebrews 4, verse 14. As we close, listen to these words. Since then, we have one great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has, in every respect, been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How many of you have needs right now? Got some needs? I, I do. I, I've got, my wife is ill. She's been ill for 10 days. It gets old. It, she's sick and tired of being sick and tired, as, as the saying goes. Some of you all have needs, just tangible, logistical needs. Some of you all need answers as to what your life's going to look like, when and why and how. Some of you all just want to know, God, where are you? Some of you look at things in your past and still can't come up with the answers of why things have happened the way they are. We are in the in-between time. We live in between, and so much is unknown. And we have a God who could say, Well, I'm God. Just trust me. He could. But we have a God who came in human flesh, who became our great high priest, who within himself took fully God and that holiness and the justice and the rightness and righteousness of God and was fully man with all the temptations of the flesh and lived it out just right. And instead of condemning us for not living it out just right, because I haven't met anybody yet who does, he sympathizes with our weakness. He's been tempted as we are. He gets it. He gets that you're frustrated. He gets that you feel under it. But he doesn't leave you and say, well, Tough luck. The air is human. 
No. He says this, I'm going to give you a place to go with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You don't just draw near when the need is done. You draw near to the throne of grace when you need grace, which is, I, I, I just don't know. I just don't know. I'm not sure why I can't make life work. And your great high priest, rather than giving you platitudes, can grab a hold of you and say, my son, my son, who I love with all my heart, I've never left you, I've never left your side, my timing's not your timing, you'll never be able to see with the eyes I see with, you won't know why, 100% until it's done, but trust me, this is my son, by the way. <laughs> he doesn't understand. Benjamin does not understand all the decisions I make. Right? He doesn't agree with all the decisions I make. <laughs> but I hope he knows that I have his best in mind and I love him and I am fallible. And sometimes I do things out of selfish motives just because I'm human. God doesn't. He has got you. And you sons and daughters who have trusted in Him, He is your great high priest, not some robed person far away from you, but someone who embraces you in the folds of His robes and says, I know it's hard, but I'm with you until the end. And if you'll draw near to me, i I've got you. I've always drawn near to you. Abraham bargaining down to ten people to save a wicked city reminds us that God sent His own Son and was willing to spare an unrighteous world, you and me, deserving of death for one righteous man. If you don't know that, if you just can't get your head around that, I get it, I know it's hard, but that's the gospel, that you have no ability to get to heaven, you have no ability to get to God except through the one righteous man. And when you know that you're his son or his daughter and you're loved, it doesn't make all your problems go away. It means you have a place to go to take your problems. A real help in a time of need. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Lord. You who would spare a wicked city for the sake of a few righteous in it. Pointing how much more you love to save, Lord, that your will to save is so much stronger than your will to condemn and punish. 
It doesn't mean you won't judge, Lord, but you stay your hand so often because your mercy triumphs over your judgment. You're not a pushover, God. You're an awesome and fearful God who does what is right. But we're grateful that you are first and foremost a God who wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to eternal life, that your mercy, Lord, knew every morning. Lord, and when we just have nothing left and we don't know why and it just seems like our strength is gone, would you help us to be like Abraham, knowing he was weak in and of himself, just a man of flesh, so frail, so fallible, and yet boldly coming before God Almighty and pleading the case for unrighteous sinners to be saved. What a marvel that you, Jesus, who didn't have to leave your throne but chose to, submitted to the will of your Father, drank the cup of death for us. Lord, let us be a kingdom of priests. Lord, who spread the message, who mediate between God and men, bringing the message of the kingdom, the good news of the gospel. Lord, in the truth that you've given to us. Lord, we know the practicalities of life can just get us so down. Lord, teach us to revel in the fact that things are fading away, that ultimately everything that's shaken will be shaken, and what will be left will be the throne of grace. And if we've attached ourselves there, Lord, we'll find a sure and secure foundation. Take just a minute, and would you come just in faith to the throne of grace if you're in a time of need? For those of us who've raised our hands, and for all of us, would you just take a minute, and in your mind's eye, would you just picture a throne room? Would you picture being able and you're allowed access into that room because you're a son or daughter? You now can go, and would you just go, and would you, within your own mind, within your own heart, would you take the need that you have and go to the great high priest who sympathizes with your weakness and take him this need that you have right here, right now? Thank you, Lord, for hearing us.